welcome everybody to episode seven. Episode seven? Episode seven. <laughs> Sometimes I lose track. <laughs> That's what um, happens when you do too much while trying to run a podcast. <laughs> right. Right. Too many noodles on your plate. <laughs> they start slithering around like spaghetti, you know, and you're trying to control it all. And the noodles are just haywire. Peas with a fork. <laughs> I own a fork for that reason. Wait, wait, a real one, not a plastic one? No, like a silver spork. Really? It came with, it came oh. with my set. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I didn't even know those existed. <laughs> I didn't either. I inherited them. Oh, that's it's cool. Like old school silver sporks, yeah. Wow. So do you wait, do you actually use them though? Oh yeah. That's my favorite tool in the whole toolbox. So they're not <laughs> it's not like a serving size spork. It's an actual like Oh no, it's yeah, it's just like a regular like a, yep. Fork combined spoon. Oh, that's so funny. Yes, it is. That takes really eating cool. to a whole new level, huh? Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a game changer. It's better for a lot of things because then you don't have to decide fork or spoon. Just grab the exactly. one and you're like, I'm good pack, either way. If you pack your food, you, you got it with you. So. <laughs> right? That's pretty cool. I, I really, I just thought that they only had those like in plastic versions, I guess. I don't know. I, that's that's interesting. for me to... There's probably a whole like sport community. <laughs> no doubt. <laughs> oh my god, that's funny. So we've established episode seven, right? Yes. <laughs> yep. We've established episode seven. That's right. And I'm uh, Whisper, your co-host, and Jemima. And our guest today is Rose. Hi, Rose. Hi. Nice <laughs> to meet you. Nice to meet you too. Thank you so much for. Coming on our show, I've heard a lot about you from Whisper <laughs> because oh she's always like, oh, my God, she's so amazing. We have to have no. her. So I'm <laughs> super excited that this all finally worked out. Uh, the pressure is real. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> we had a lot of uh, fun last time. Our last episode was about DID for anybody that didn't listen to it. That was a very interesting experience for both of us. I, I personally haven't had a lot of experience talking with two people with DID. So for me, it was a really interesting experience. I'm so, so glad that Damien came on with us and shared. And that was really, really amazing. So Rose... Tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, my name is Rose. I have five children. I am a grandmother to three grandchildren. I'm a sober vegan cop. And telling my story will kind of lead up to what this is all about. <laughs> but I was born into the cult in 1974 in Buenos Aires, Argentina. Oh, so wow. I spent, I spent my time in the cult in South America, Central America, the Caribbean, and Mexico, you know, sort of area. Oh, I was in Mexico for a while when I was young. Oh. When were you in Mexico? In the 90s. Oh, yeah. I was there like in, in 80, the 90s. 85 and 86. Like the yes years, right? The YAF and the TTC and all that, yeah. Oh, yeah. Then I, I might have met you at the TTC because oh. I was I was there, there in, oh. in Monterey. Yeah, 12 years old. Oh, I was 14. I, met- uh, I was in Uncle Solomon's group. <laughs> oh, my God. Yes, Robert, right? I grew up with him, so. He's like a stepdad to me, and he lives uh-huh. near my mom now, actually, here in Texas. That's funny, because I just met somebody else that was coming through from Texas that I had known when I was a teenager. And he said that he lives really close by Robert too. So he must live nearby you as well. well I live about an hour and a half from my mom. I live in Corsica. It's a small little uh, town in Texas. So one of the original oil towns in Texas, which I didn't know when I moved out here, but like, oh. there's nothing here. There's nothing here. Don't, <laughs> don't get excited. I stay, I spent all my time in my house. <laughs> we do know each other, but you yeah. know, you're one of the older ones. The older ones kind of hung out together and the yeah. younger ones were, you know. Well, well, Jemima, you were going like many of us, you were going by a different name at that time, right? I was Bathsheba. Oh God. I remember <laughs> you now completely. <laughs> I remember the sarong you had. It just came to me right now. Okay. That was me. I was always in a sarong. (laughs) I know now. (laughs) That is so funny. How funny. How strange. That's so weird. Small world. (laughs) Seriously. Yeah. Amazing. 
Okay. Well, that's wow. so interesting. <laughs> so we share quite a lot of similar background then, huh? Absolutely. Yes. So interesting. Um, yeah. So I don't know if you guys want me to sort of give you a little backstory or. Yeah. 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 Go ahead. <laughs> where this came about, the sober vegan cop, where I'm at now. I'm going to write a book one day, but I haven't gotten there yet. Like I said, I was born in, in 1974 and raised like you guys in the cult. I left in my early 20s. I had five and like at 23 years old, I think I was about 23. You know, I have twins in the middle there. And I had met my ex-husband, now ex-husband, but in the cult, you know, both teenagers when we met and all of that. You guys know all about that. Yeah. <laughs> so we escaped and left basically under the, the guise of, of going to visit his parents who had already left the cult in South Carolina. And then we just never came back. We packed up what we little possessions we owned. We happened to have a vehicle that was donated to us by his parents. So, you know, we had, we had like at least had that going for us, which was major, if you know what I mean. Yeah. And we packed in all those five kids and, and never came back. And of course that led to a whole, just, oh my God. So survival mode, right. Of yeah. shit. <laughs> we got to get a job and we got to like, I don't know how to chat. Like, you know, you felt like an alien and you guys will probably experience all of that, but yeah. went through yes. all of that and yeah. that's a whole nother story. But I, I was like a PTA mom, you know, like everything that I wanted to do or live strive for was my children. My whole identity was my children. I'm sure you guys can relate to this of just wanting to give them everything that we never had and giving yeah. them a completely actual childhood. Like what we didn't have, you know, and like a sports and I mean, just everything, you know, I was completely involved in that. And then I worked just minimum wage jobs. I worked at night and my ex husband put him, him through schools. I was like, so one of us needs to go to school, I think just so we can like live a little better than we're living. So we finally had made it, you know, essentially in, in anybody's eyes, they would think that, you know, we had the, our kids were teenagers. We had the, the big house, the pool, the cars, the dogs, like it was like, okay. And then it all fell apart. We split up. You grow apart when you're that yeah. young and you come out to the world and, and you're just trying to figure things out. You grow apart steadily. And then before you know it, you're just two strangers living together, raising kids. And yeah. I... I came out as, as gay. I'm the, the lesbian. <laughs> <laughs> and the kids were so cool with it. I thought that was my biggest fear, obviously, coming out to them was um. that I'm going to lose my relationship with them. And kind of their whole little protected world was sort of fall apart. And it wasn't just because of that. It was many things that happened. How did you figure out that you were gay? Within the, like with the cold thing that was really looked down upon. And I never even, I don't think I really thought about it growing up. Like I wasn't necessarily attracted to women, but at the same time, our free love and free everything that was kind of, I, I don't know. I didn't really think about it then as I got older and I was out there and just getting more experimental and just kind of actually able to free think for myself. Yeah. I just started noticing that I was attracted to women. And I mean, I don't like to put labels on myself either because I love people. And so I feel like that yeah. was just like a natural connection that I made with somebody. And I'm not a man hater either. You know what I mean? So, but that's just, it was comfortable for me. And whether that has to do with, you know, what had happened to me within the cult, the sexual abuse or different things, I don't really know. I tried to put like, try to figure it out in my own mind to be like, well, why is, you know, I don't know. But who cares, really? You know what I mean? At that point, yeah. it's just, I don't know. It just, yeah. it just yeah. happened and uh, it was comfortable to me and it, and it felt right. And the rest is history. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I've been in this gay lifestyle for more than 10 years now, so I feel pretty yeah. good about it. <laughs> That's good. That's awesome. Yeah. I don't know if that answers the question. Yeah. Like I said, I, don't no, really, I didn't really, really have like a, a, an aha moment about that. You know, it just kind of happened. Okay. That's really cool. Um, yeah. It's just interesting to me, like how some people figure it out, because I know there's people that don't figure out until they're 50 or 60 years old, you know, and yeah. like, oh, yeah. gosh, what am I doing? And yeah. so I think I think some of our listeners, too, might be interested in like, how does one realize yeah. that, that this is the path that they want <laughs> for to me? I, I, I think it's different for everyone. That's why I wanted to kind yeah. of hear what it was for you, because I think it's a little different for each person. Sure. Yeah. And I spent several years after realizing this for myself, quite a few years after that in my marriage, without saying anything, because yeah. I didn't want to break up my family. And yeah. I spent a lot of time depressed about it because I was like, I'm just going to have to. It's like, yeah, look, this is my life. Like, it doesn't matter what I want to do. I can't do it. You know, yeah. I got kids. And that was the most important thing to me. It, 
obviously it ended up the poor timing of it all just happening and they were teenagers. So that was rough in general, just lose the whole family breaking up and teenagers, you know how they are. It's just such a, already such a tough time. So unfortunately I didn't want it to exactly go down like that, but it did. And you know, is what it is on that. That was just one of the cogs in the wheel in our dysfunctional yeah. wheel. At that, <laughs> at that point when their dad moved out and I was just trying to, I was trying to kind of tread water there, trying to survive. I, like I said, working minimum wage jobs and, and trying to put myself through some sort of school. I was putting myself through like EMT B school, like anything I could just try to like think of like surviving. I lost everything though. I sold the ha- everything to just get out of that house. And I ended up becoming homeless. My kids had, had to go live with their dad because he had a, a nice job by now. He had gotten a little bit of education and all that stuff. So yeah, I had to let them go live with him because I couldn't support them in the way that they needed, especially as teenagers, you know, how expensive they are. And that was devastating for me, like just devastating. I felt right. like I had completely failed and like, what have I done? I should have just stayed, like not come out, you know, all the things that you think of that you're fucking yeah. up your family life. At 37 years old, which is not that long ago, 10 years ago, <laughs> I landed on the floor of a friend of mine's apartment with a mattress and I did still have one car. I had a car. So, and like a a suitcase of clothes brought me back to my childhood Mm. and it was a hard time for me. Like just a failure of everything, feeling that way. I was folding jeans at Lucky's $10 an hour. And I was working part-time at a foster teenage girl's home, just trying to figure out what the fuck am I going to do now? I met my now uh, wife during that time, which I I don't know if she saw me, just, I didn't really have a lot to give. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, she said I was pretty good looking. So I guess that worked out. <laughs> it worked in my favor. We ended up moving in together. We moved out to this small little town and, and, and ended up buying a house together and things. But I became a cop, not because my whole ambition in life was to grow up and become a police officer, but it sort of came into my lap. And at 40, hmm. I... I was like, I can do this. Why not? You know, this is great. Absolutely. And I always wanted to do jobs that help other people. It's something that's been important to me. And at 40, I became a cop with all these young kids testing out next to me. I'm the only one that they hired out of like 25 people that tested out. And for me, I I just cried because it was like no education, no nothing. As far as that kind of stuff goes, it was just a huge accomplishment for me, you know, time. Seriously, it like, is. Oh my God, yeah. I could have a career. Like, and I felt like I could give me some sort of belief in myself. You know what I right, mean? I had, such, right. I had such low self-esteem and everything. And so that was in 2015. Even in general, being a police officer has been a conflict of interest for me in, in a lot of ways because of who I am as a person, how I feel about people and things. And I'll get into that more in a minute with addiction and different stuff. But it also gave me stability. It, it gave me, I don't want to say meaning. I want to say it, it, it gave me belief in myself for once that, oh my God, I can do whatever I want to do. I can do it. I am. I'm good. I'm good at this. You know, I can do like, it, I don't know. It just gave me self-confidence like to the max. And, and my wife's the for one sure. that really pushed me. She's like, cause I had gone, I had put myself to the police academy while my kids are teenagers, but it was too much going on. I didn't even bother to try to get a police job at that time. Cause it was just too much. Um, and so I had thrown my diploma and the, or my certification in the thing. And I was like, fuck that, you know, whatever. I tried it. It didn't happen. It's fine. So she pulled that out. She's like, no, you, you know, go do it. You should do it. You should at least try it. And so she pushed me to do that. Well, that was in 2015. I graduated academy and started my career in that 2016. My oldest daughter, Kath, she had already had two kids by now. She battled a lot of mental health issues. She you know she had been diagnosed as a teenager with bipolar and uh, depression. And in high school, she did the whole sneaking out, out again and weed and stuff like that. That I don't want to say typical, but I didn't freak out too much except that I was just trying to like try to manage it if I could. Yeah. But I, her mental health was a big concern of mine, but I wasn't educated enough in it. I didn't know that much about it and and the correlation between addiction and mental health right so yeah. even though i knew she was like maybe trying some pills here doing different things like that i didn't understand anything until the day and i still remember in april of 2016 i was in my bathroom and she called me with saying she was addicted to heroin and she needed oh help i mean i just was like what? Oh my. I mean, like, it's just devastating. Like, oh just God. devastating. Yeah. You know, your world, your world's going on and, and it's going along and you just got this career and you're doing your thing. And then this, and you're just like, are you fucking kidding me right now? Like, it, it's one of the worst things that you can hear almost because you're just 
heroin. Yeah. Like you hear the horrific stories of heroin and yeah. how it's almost impossible to come back from that. And it's just like, of all things, I try not to freak out, but I immediately said, yeah, I'm coming, I'm coming right now. She lived yeah. about an hour and a half away from me or an hour. And I just drove straight to her apartment and she was a, a disaster. Everything was a mess, but herself, like she was so sick. She was so dope sick because she had run out of all of her money. She blew through all of her, you know, tax return on dope and just everything. And I didn't even know that she was on heroin. You know what I mean? Like that's just, it was like the most devastating thing. Cause I didn't live with her. I yeah. knew she was struggling and I'd see her. She didn't look that great, but like, she was always struggling. You know what I mean? So it's one of those things that you were like, didn't right. really pick in stock that much. And then to see her like this, I barely like got dragged her into the car fighting me all the way pretty much. And, uh, but she was so sick. She couldn't really fight me as much as she could have. And I took her immediately to rehab and I took her son uh-huh. home with me because her son, the one that I'm, that I'm currently raising is the dad is also an addict. They, they started heroin together. He got her on it, something like that anyway. So at first the rehab, so she did the, I was going to all the the family visits and bringing the kids out there and like, just, and I had so much hope. My heart was filled with hope and she was doing so well and she was embracing the program. And I was going to the therapies and we were working this out and like talking and just doing all the stuff that you do. And I was like, this is great. Like, she's going to be fine. It's going to be okay. It's just like one of these things, so much hope. And she did the 90 days. I even put her in a sober living facility, moved her in there. I was like, now the kids can come stay with you there. They, you know, to visit and, and all these things. Like she had, done well and I was just beyond excited and then like a month later probably uh she's back on it and I could start I could tell you know what I mean because as a parent you start to panic when you're looking at you're looking for track marks she was an IV user so you look for track marks you look for and I'd notice little things and I'd just be like using it "Ah, and she was all volatile and it was the drugs of course and out of her mind and it it was like we spent the next year and a half just like in hell. Me picking her up from horrible places, finding her shooting up in the bathrooms. And then she was homeless towards the end too, because like I couldn't enable her. I was trying to do the tough love thing, but also be there for her. Like it was so hard. I just didn't know what to do. And I was, and I had her son. So I had to protect him because I didn't want the dad's parents to try to take him also from me. And so I was just like trying to I, I'd pick her up. She looked horrible. She got on meth too. So it was like a combination of things. So we'd have these just like horrible moments. And then we'd have like these really sad moments together. And we'd just sit there and smoke a cigarette in the car. And she'd just be talking like nonstop gibberish and things. And I had to embrace her as the person that she was and not try to be like, you need to get help. You need to get help. Because then she wouldn't talk to me for like days at a time or a week. And then then I'd freak out that she was dead. And so I just kind of was like, this is our relationship right now. But it it was like a nightmare picking her up and then dropping her off. Okay. You know, taking her to get food and shower and then dropping her off at another dope house essentially, because like, that's what she was going to do like that. She wouldn't. And if I tried to not do it, she would fight me physically. And so it was just, it was, it was so hard. And then in and out of rehabs, you know, cause then she'd be like, okay, I'm going to get clean. And she fought, she really fought. She wanted to get clean. It was just, I remember one of the most heartbreaking things that happened was um, I got a call. She was in an emergency room. She had gotten some sort of infection. And when I walked in, they had the IV stuck in her neck because it was the only vein that hadn't been blown. And it was just oh like, God. oh, my God, like, we're, how is this going? How is this happening? Yeah. And it just it's just heartbreaking. And she was worn out and tired. And you just like you wanted the madness to end. But and you knew that that overdose was always a possibility but you just don't expect it really to happen i would talk to her about that and, and i'm like i'm having to plan your funeral Catherine. what are we doing here come on help me out and it's just like i didn't realize the torture that she was going through too like i just i tried to but i i couldn't relate because for me we always sucked it up my generation yeah. we sucked it up and we made it happen regardless give into yeah. it and and that's and yeah. the way we were raised from the family too so like i think that just yeah. that was how it was ingrained in me even worse because they didn't actually believe in mental health issues oh like not they, at all yeah, yeah like so like not only were you not knowledgeable but you actually were never given a Allowed chance to. to know about them yeah so that's yeah. crazy i'm yeah. sorry uh, so it was, it was hard and then 
I remember the Friday before I get this, this, the last call that I'm going to get, I'll tell you about that. But Friday, we had this discussions over text. Like I was upset with her because it's kind of frustrating sometimes. She wasn't, she said she was going to show up to her daughter's thing. She didn't show up for some Thanksgiving thing at school and her daughter was asking about it. And I'm just trying to like, you know, I was mad at her. I was mad at her. And I hate that because it was the last text that we had. And I was just, upset and I was like why and then she's like fuck you and then I was like well fuck you probably I don't even remember because unfortunately my phone and maybe fortunate for me because I'd still be looking at these texts but I had it on that 30-day delete thing so I lost all of the messages which sucked oh, but no. anyway but maybe it was good in the long run because I'm one of these people that would have obsessed but so our last conversations were not good and then she was like well tell my kids I said goodbye and but she mm-hmm. was always saying like suicidal Stuff type like things that, yeah. all the time so I never really would get that serious about it. I, I I did, but like this time it was different. I really felt strongly bad, like something was going to be bad. And I tried calling her after that call. She just immediately quit answering my calls. And that Monday night, November 20th, 2017, it was like 930 at night. And I got a call from the homicide detective in oh Dallas. And it's like, your daughter's was in an alley, found in an alley and she's dead. The guy dumped her there and let us know 12 hours later. So basically she had gotten picked up by this dude. Like she, she was always getting rides everywhere. She didn't have transportation and just got picked her up. And apparently according to him, she was already messed up and uh, taken whatever she took. I don't think she realized that what she took was lace of fentanyl, but he picked her up but she was just real fucked up in the car apparently. And he, Drove to his mom's house because he was pissed off that she was... I, I feel like she may have offered something in exchange for a ride. You know, I never really will know exactly how it happened. I just have his account. But he left her in his car and pulled up to his mom's house and for hours. And then when he came out, she was hanging outside of his car. Like, she had tried to get out. And then he just... He put her back in and, and dumped her in an alley because he claimed that she was dead. But he's not a doctor. He doesn't know. He it's, he couldn't. He didn't. He could have done anything. But what he did, it's like it's your worst nightmare as a parent. Even if your kid's gonna die, which is horrible, the way it happened, it's yeah. just like oh my god. And he didn't try to get her help. Didn't call for help. Didn't anything. He just dumped her there, put a blanket over, and left her. And twelve hours later, he's his conscious got to him, and he ended up calling the cops. But like she was in a morgue and. And in that alley for two days before I even knew that she was dead. And it was just, when I got that call, my world went silent and black. Like, it was so busy because from her addiction to, it had been consumed by Catherine for the last year and a half. And and it was my whole, everything. I was struggling to maintain my job too because of everything that was going on. But I didn't really care about that at that point. So it was so busy. It was constantly getting text messages and and being loud. And suddenly it was just done. It was gone. And I think the hardest thing was that not only that she was gone, but it's like all that hope, like I had all this, you're going to be the one that makes it. I supported her. I was there for her, like all these things. and, And then nothing. It's just done. It's done. That's it. That's how it ends. And you just can't. You cannot wrap your mind around that. You can't. And I, I still can't to this day. But yeah, so it went black for me. And um, that first year after she died, I spent a lot of time just actively speaking out on overdose awareness and just trying to find it, just speaking about it and making it, putting a face to addiction and how it doesn't discriminate. And I'm a police officer and my daughter was addicted. Just anything I could do, I feel like, to make sense of... <sighs> something so senseless and a life just taken that it was just so, so stupid. And so I spent the whole year just doing that nonstop. And I, I didn't even want to process my pain or my grief or anything like that. I started then the next year. It was just, I was discouraged. I was just spent. And I started drinking like heavily. My yeah. niece died of an overdose too. Oh, I'm so sorry. So it's very, very personal for me as well. Yes. They found her in a 55-year-old crackhead's bed. I kind of understand a little bit. Totally. It's never going to be ever any kind of pretty scene, especially when it comes to addiction and all of that, because it's just such a, a seedy, dark, sad world. Yeah. And yeah. I imploded completely. I started drinking like so much. And I w- I've been drinking, you know, for two decades, but not drinking to numb the pain. Yeah. I just started drinking every single night. 
whiskey, straight whiskey, just to pass out. And then I would get up the next day and I had to go to work. I had a job to do. I had a kid to take care of. And I had used Adderall to, and I had a prescription, so I wasn't doing anything illegal, but I was taking that to, to get through the days and those hangovers and how I felt like shit. And just to feel happy for a little while, it became more of actually of a drug for me though, because I don't really know that I'm eight. I I might have some ADD tendencies, you know what I mean? But 45 years old, you can go and tell the doctor I have ADD. He's not going to go do me testing. He's just going to give me Adderall. Right. And I mean, I, I started abusing it and I didn't give a shit. I was like, you know what? I don't give a shit. Did you lose your kid? Okay, then shut the fuck up. I was just like, I don't want anyone to tell me anything about what I'm doing. Start smoking cigarettes all the time. Like I just didn't, I did not care. And I, at the time I was a municipal police officer here in town and nobody knew what was going on with me. But a week later, I have to go back to work. So like, I don't have time to process anything. And yeah. it's copy call, copy call, copy call. And I started thinking in my mind, I go to some of these calls that would just be like, they're fighting over the last cigarette because they're intoxicated. And I just, in my mind, I would be like, are you fucking kidding me right now? Nothing seems to matter anymore when something so devastating happens like that, yeah. that the small, you don't have time for the small bullshit at all. Yeah. And at least I didn't. And, and I started thinking, this is not safe for me to like be out here like this. Cause that's not safe for me. It's not safe for my fellow workers. Cause I don't give a shit right now. And so I ended up leaving. I left the job after almost five years there. And I went to the schools to be an officer at the school district because I thought, well, you know what? Kids are healing <laughs> and it's going to be <laughs> a lot calmer and quieter. And I need to, you know, figure this out. Well, I didn't really figure it out at first because the COVID hit. And more than ever, I was just drinking even more because then I could just be home all day. And the school schedule was like, you're off all summer and you're this and you're that. Needless to say, it wasn't pretty. My relationship was not doing that well either because of just how I was. I was just self-medicating. Um, yeah. Medicating. I was just, yeah. and I even told them, I think I told my kids or whatever. I was like, I really don't care. If, I mean, if I die, I, I die with a cigarette and a whiskey in my hand. I'll, I've lived a good life too. It's terrible, but it was my attitude. And I would even right. drive, like, but I, I wanted to die. I was in so much pain yeah. and I wasn't like going to kill myself at all. I wasn't suicidal. It was just the fact that like, I don't want to fucking feel like this all the time. Like it's horrible. And you torture yourself and like the, the sad tapes are playing in my head over and over of, of what I should have done more with Catherine, what I could have done, like just everything and, and blaming myself. It was just a repetitive thing. And I just couldn't see any, I couldn't find her anywhere. Like it was just silence. And I wanted to connect with her and somehow and I wouldn't allow myself because of just what I was doing to my, with the addiction stuff that I was doing. And I'm like, what am I doing? Like I'm, I'm doing the same thing. I'm here completely addicted to alcohol and, and Adderall. And my daughter just died of, of addiction. But I would drive. I would drive. I'd be so hungover on Monday morning and, you know, just drive and just be like, universe, kill me. Like, please. Like, I'm begging you. Put me out of my fucking misery. It was just that that intense for me. I mean, I would just scream. And there was just no way of getting that pain out. I don't know if I'd explain it better than that. But it was August of 2020. And I remember I started to realize I got to do something about this. This is out of control. It hasn't trickled over to my job or anybody else outside of my home that really realizes what's going on here with me because I was able to maintain it. But yeah. I was like, it's really a matter of time and or I'm going to die. Like, I'm going to get a call from the doctor, but I have cirrhosis of the liver or anything. I just like I started thinking these thoughts about what was going on. And I was like, I just I don't want to go down like this. <laughs> I started like, I don't want to go. I don't want my grandkids to think of their grandma as the show smelled like whiskey and cigarettes or not be there present for them. I would do all the things with them and put them to bed and, and everything, but I didn't remember it the next day. Like that was sad for me yeah. and they were fine. Like they weren't being, did everything that we, I, I knew how to do. It was a routine, but like yeah. I was missing out on them and they're Catherine's kids. And I, I, I just, I, they already lost their mom. My kids already lost their sister. Like I didn't want them to lose me too in it, but I had no idea. Like, Stopping drinking was not even on my radar at all. Like I did not, I love drinking. And so I, I remember I woke up, it was really sad. I woke up on the dog bed one morning in the middle of the night. And I was like, wow, this is, this is where I've been reduced to. <laughs> if I could pass down on the dog, but I was just like, this is out of control. It's out of control. Yeah. And I, what am I going to do? And I sat out on my porch. I, I took a video of myself 
because I felt so disgusted with myself. And I just was like smoking a cigarette out there. I was like, you want me to do something different, Catherine? You're going to have to step in and help me. I talked to Catherine as, as if it's God because I'm not religious like that. So like Catherine is my higher power. She's my person <laughs> in the universe that I talk to. And I'm just like, you, you got to help me. If you want me to be here for your fucking kids, then you better help me. And I was just so desperate. I was desperate and woke up the next day. I, I, I watched a documentary called oh, What the Health on Netflix. And for some reason, reason I was like you know what I'm going vegan that's the first thing that's the first thing I'm going to do towards my health I'm one of these very all or nothing at all people and very spontaneous I'm not a lot of gray so it's either all or nothing for me I'm not, not balanced that well and me I went vegan. <laughs> I went vegan the next day cold turkey went vegan immediately I started feeling better physically because all the toxins and well most of the toxins in my body didn't stop drinking yet I, I was starting to feel better in some ways. Like I have arthritis in my ankle from an injury and different things. So a lot of the pain and things starting to go away right away. Like I was feeling better about that. Then I thought, but that was like the, what got the ball rolling because yeah. after that, it gave me a purpose. It gave me something to do other than obsess about my grief and sadness. So I was like, okay, now I got to figure this out. Then two weeks later, I was like, why can't I be pouring this whiskey down, down my body? <laughs> it defeats the purpose. What's the, the point? Right. And so I, I stopped drinking. Like I just, I made the decision right then and there. Two weeks later, I have it written down because I write it down every single day from the day I started. And that was August 23rd. In the middle of the pandemic, I just stopped drinking and I walked away from it. And I, I even remember grieving about that because I had a reflection yeah. in my mind saying, you, you can't ever go back to drinking. You can't do it. And I, and for me, I was like, that was terrifying for me because even my relationship with my wife was drinking based like we, our whole relationship we've been drinking and I was like fuck am I, are we gonna get, like each other am I gonna enjoy our cup <laughs> are we gonna, like you know I was I was kind of just everything that I simulated with fun or anything had to do with drinking or relaxing you know it was drinking either whiskey or yeah. wine that was just what I did you know and to think about that but I was like I have to like this is a life or death for me it was life or death and it wasn't just about physically life or death it was about healing myself because I couldn't, I wasn't going to make it mentally or any other way with the pain that I was in from my daughter's death. And I started out as an experiment kind of, I was like, well, let me see if this works, then I'll stick with it, you know, but if it doesn't work and start feeling better and a little bit happier, even 10% happier then I'm going back to drinking. And I can't tell you, I just can't, I can't even describe it because it's like, I wanted to bottle it up when I got sober and just even a couple weeks into it, I started like just seeing things differently. Like it was like mm -hmm. this heavy cloak had come off of me and I had like, I was seeing like light again. I was seeing colors. I was, I could hear things again, essentially. Yeah. And it, it was the, the most amazing, some people call it the pink cloud and some people don't get it, but like I got it so much. I was so fucking high on life. <laughs> And it was weird because I was like, nothing's changed. My daughter's still dead. I'm still working my paycheck to paycheck law enforcement job. Like nothing's changed, but I've changed. Just stopping that was insane. I never realized yeah. how much of an effect it would have on me because it's such a depressant. Yeah. So then when yeah. I stopped doing it, it was like I could actually process things for the yeah. first time in my life. I quit it, smoking three days later. Wow. It's such an integrated part of society, drinking that nobody stops and thinks about what it actually does to your body. Right. And that a lot of what the reaction of that is, because I stopped drinking last year too. And it's just yeah, like so the reaction that your body has almost immediately is kind of like, it's a bit terrifying when you realize, yeah. well, I was really doing some shit to my body with no, that. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Very true. I stopped yeah. drinking like seven years ago. Oh, yeah. wow. Yeah. So, you know, the feeling. Um, I had plenty of other addictions too, though. Don't worry. I, 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 listened, to, I listened to your podcast. I had read that, or I'd listened to that book, Quit Like a Woman, right when I quit drinking, because that really helped. I, I didn't want to do the whole AA route. Like that yeah, for no. me was never going to be something that was going to work for me. Right. Uh, I wasn't about like, I'm so helpless and weak. I need a higher power. Like, I'm like, no, I am empowering myself. I'm yeah, making absolutely. it. Close. No one's telling me I need to get sober. It's not got coming to the point where it's affecting my job. I didn't commit a crime in the process of all. All those things. This is something that I'm deciding. I'm taking my life back. I have to. And, and at first it wasn't for me. It was for my grandkids. She has a grand a granddaughter as well. You know, like I have to do it for them and for my kids initially. But then mm -hmm. I started feeling so different that it was just unbelievable. I quit smoking three days later. And then I 
Wow. I started meditating and I never was a big, I was never meditating. I tried here and there, but it wasn't like something that was an integral part of my life. That was a game changer, like a yeah. complete game changer for me. And I never realized how much it would help me. I set up my little setup here that I have. And I've got the whole room pictures of my daughter with her kids. And I have my daughter's books there and then her journals and then, you know, oh. some of her rings and things that were special to her. This is my meditation space. I, I'm lucky enough to have this extra room here that I can do that. Um, that is awesome. I've That's set amazing. it up to really just, so I come in here every single day and now that I work nights, I'll just come in cause I have a, I'm back on patrol. <laughs> it's a different job, but I, I work nights. So when I wake up, whenever I do, I just come in here and, and that's how I start my day. And I, I meditate and I've, I've today, my stats, I've been 316 days vegan, 303 days, sober, 300 days, nicotine free, 278 days meditating, like consecutively three days Adderall free. And for me, it was important to write these things down because I, one day you think you can't make it for one day. And now it's been almost a year and it's wow. just, it's, That's it's amazing. Changed, yeah. It's changed the way I look at, at, at everything with, with my grief too. Mm -hmm. I read a book by David Kessler called finding meaning. It's the sixth st stage of grief. Mm -hmm. And it just mm -hmm. helps you see, like I started being grateful for like the, almost 25 years that I got to be your mom. And yeah. I started just like thinking about all the, the positives that we did have together in the time and, and these precious kids that she left me, you know, and I don't know. It's just like my favorite quote is from Maya Angelou. You can't control the situations that go around you, but you can choose not to be reduced by them. Yeah. And I was so reduced. I decided I, I didn't want to go down like that. And so I took it charge of my own life. Like no rescue ship was coming. You know, that realization, <laughs> no one's coming out here to save you. <laughs> like there's no life raft going to be thrown at you. Like, what are you going to do? You just die. You're just going to go down. And I just, it was like a challenge to myself. And that's where I'm at now. Yeah. Wow. I love that. I think that's so powerful that you write that down every single day. I don't know if I've ever heard of anyone doing that. I'm a little bit like that. Like I would not not OCD but if I had a day that I couldn't write that down I would have like fucked up all the other days behind it so it's like it's actually a kind of like the, a really great tip keeps, I should say it keeps me in check too I don't miss a day because I feel like it's like I'm juggling these balls and if I drop one that I'm gonna just completely revert back to everything and so I'm, that, that's what terrifies me I still have dreams sometimes where I, I'm drinking and then I freak out that oh my god this was why and I wake up like in this cold sweat I'm just so grateful to be sober that and I never thought I would say that because like I said it was never on my radar but it, it changed my life and it gave me it gave me hope and meaning again and and now wow. I'm here. I want to share my story to people because like there is hope after these things that happen to you, like, yeah. especially a child loss is something that's, I can't even explain it. There's just no, no words. It's no, so yeah. horrible. It's so horrible. And, yeah. Um, you, you've, you've lived through everyone, every mother's nightmare. Yeah. yeah. And I thought, Seriously. I thought my childhood was rough and then <laughs> right? you know, surviving after that. And then it's just this. And you're just like, I, I started thinking to look at it. And I was like, I think when I first left the, the cold, I was kind of a victim. I felt like that victim role a little bit and yeah. angry and all that. And then I kind of switched it to survivor mode to survive. <laughs> and now I really, I've gotten to a different place of like being a thriver. That's my word now. I'm like, I'm a thriver. You can come on on the other side. And I'm really open about it, like on Facebook and things. That's where I kind of share a lot of stuff. And yeah. I've had a lot of moms and people reach out to me of their, that same place. They're just kind of using drinking and trying to deal with their pain and not able to come through. But I just want to show them you can do it. You can get through it. Your life has changed forever. It is. And I cry yeah. every day. I cry every day. I light a candle for my daughter. I cry. But I connect with her now. When I meditate, I close my eyes and I just like, it's always in this little beach area and we're this little cove and I, she comes and just, and we just sit there and I don't care if it's in my mind. It brings me comfort. Oh and gosh. I hold hands and we, and we just like, she's always taller than me. So I always like would put my head on her and, and it's that same kind of feeling. And, and that's the way I connect with her and I feel her and yeah. I just, I feel at peace now. Whereas before I, I couldn't find any yeah. peace. And yeah, no, I could. Oh. That's well, beautiful. Like you, yeah, that's amazing. Like you said, no one's going to throw you a life raft when you've gone through something so tremendously painful like that. Not making a choice kind of is a choice. When you sit there and you say, okay, I'm just going to like, fuck it. Like if you are not actually actively chasing healing, then you're actually actively choosing another road. 
Right. It's not that you're not choosing, like not choosing is that choice to not like right. not do anything because, because like you, you said, there's no other way to go. There is an end to that road. <laughs> yeah. That's a really powerful, uh, powerful thing. And since then though, too, you've gone and done a lot of actual advocacy work, people and, or speaking. Well, I, I've done a lot of that, like about Catholic. I still am very, I, I talk a lot about overdose awareness. I became a mental health peace officer because I wanted to learn more about how mental health works and, and have a better understanding of it and the addiction side to it. So even in my own job, I, I have a picture hanging in my patrol car, my daughter in the front there. And even when I have to arrest people, it's like, it's hard. When you want to help them, but you have to arrest them at certain times, because obviously jail is not the answer for addicts and things like that. And then then there's a law. But I use that time to like sort of pour into them and be like, listen, especially the young people I try to reach them. And I tell them Catherine's story. And I'm like, you really, you're going to go to jail or you're going to die. Like, you got to, we got to get this help. And I've had people even on patrol since Catherine died come reach out to me and I've helped them and they've gotten sober. And it's just so, it's every time I have stories like that, like, hey, Officer Clark, I just want you to know that I got sober since then and that time I mean it's just like to me those kind of stories like I'm always happy for people that can get sober even if my daughter if I couldn't save her I'm thankful that other people can be like yesterday I got news that the good Samaritan law got passed here and I've been and I didn't directly wasn't involved in it but like I've been loud about it when I'm Mm -hmm. talking to people that know what they're doing up in the Senate and all those things. And I'm not educated and not enough, but the people that are did and the law got passed to where like, cause when that guy, my daughter, like, I know he was afraid to call the police because he was an addict, even in my statement that I made in court, cause he did get arrested for a short time. But even in my statement, I forgave him because I was like, I do believe that you panicked. I do. And it was more for my own healing to forgive yeah. and not, it's not forgetting. It's remembering without anger. I do believe he panicked. And I think that, that happens. And I started researching how this happens all the time. Kids are getting dumped or left at parties or because yeah. people are, are afraid that they're going to get in trouble and, yeah. and almost every state had passed this law the good samaritan law and where it protects them from prosecution if they call and get help for the person that's overdosing and so i think yeah. if they're more aware of that they might be more inclined to call and maybe some other kids lives can get saved and that law had been vetoed in 2015 by the governor and yesterday it got passed it is going into effect in september 1st and i just cried so much because oh i was just gosh. even though it wasn't me that changed the law it just like I did. I was active about it, and I just felt grateful that maybe other kids will be saved. Yeah, yeah. that's and huge. I, you know, I just told Catherine, I was like, "We did it." You know, <laughs> it's like one of these moments. Yeah, that was the same situation with my niece. They all just left her there to die. All they all just ran away and left her there. Ugh. Yeah, they had her on life support for a little while, but it was well, too late. Yeah, they say it's like surviving a heart attack. It's like how quickly you can get them help or Narcan to people. And I carry Narcan everywhere I go and in my car, it's everywhere. I want to be able to do more to like mm-hmm. continue speaking about it. I took a time out from speaking for a while just because I wasn't doing well at all myself. You know? Afraid that anyone might figure me out and how bad I was doing. <laughs> Let me stay in for a while. But now I feel re-inspired. It's just been a complete change. These are all things I've never done in my lifetime. I've never been vegan. I've never been sober. And I mean, vegan, I know it's just a food thing, but for some reason it just, it propelled all the rest of it. And I, I feel like I've gained years on my life and I want now, I just, I don't want to die. I just want to be alive for as long as yeah. I can to see my grandkids grow up. And like, I just have this whole New Zealand life. Like I said, nothing's changed in the physical sense, but but I just like every morning, just not be going to work today and just be, and I'm just like excited about it. You yeah. Know? Yeah, absolutely. I think that choice to become vegan, like what strikes me about that is that when you started seeing the, the benefits, it's like right then and there, you identified yourself as a thriver because right. you were making these good choices that started affecting your life better. And I think just having that realization is probably what got you through some tough times because it's yeah. not easy to stop drinking <laughs> oh, no, I, using especially like yeah. Adderall I mean that's basically the same as math oh, right yeah yeah and it was hard that I didn't that was put, mentally really hard that, probably oh, I hung on to that like that, that's why my <laughs> days on that are a little less than the other ones because I, I hung on to that for a minute I was like yeah well I feel so good on everything else I don't want <laughs> it, it, it actually gave me like a spark of joy and like I would actually yeah. go out and talk to people because I felt yeah. like this, 
sudden like false energy, right? And it probably more importantly, because I probably didn't really need it. So it was affecting me in that way of more of a high. And and it gave me like that courage to just be like out and around because I didn't want to, you know, be around people anymore and any of that. And I've always been a social person, but after my daughter died, I didn't, you know. I, I yeah. still am kind of a hermit now, <laughs> but that, that I tapered off because I wanted to do it in a safe way, even though I know it's like, okay, this today's the day I got to give it up, but I have to taper it off. So I just, I would do like, instead of the two that I took a day, I would take one, one and a half and then right. switch down to one. So finally the last few, I just threw away down the toilet and, uh, good for you. That was oh my it. Gosh. And it was, so, yeah, but my kids really, they, they've been so supportive. My son, Casey is one of the twins. Um, the twins came after Catherine. He was plant-based for a while and uh, he was always like, hey, just kind of throwing in. He's an environmental en- you know, engineer too. So he's real aware of all that kind of stuff. And so he was always inspiring me. And I always felt kind of guilty when he came over and I'd be smoking and drinking. I just felt like, why am I? Who, who am I? How did I even turn into this person? But he always just was very inspiring to me and signing us up for like races. And I really credit that kid, but all my kids are so supportive and they've seen such a change in me too, because they were worried about me. Obviously now I'm able to to be present for them again and like they they still matter they're still here they're still alive and it's all been about Catherine which obviously is going to be what what about cigarettes did you quit that cold turkey too because I had to wean myself off of that one I'd vape cigarette because I didn't want to smell like cigarettes at at work so because at the time I was working at the school so you were vaping okay yeah, but I was with the Adderall, though the problem is it keeps you smoking too. Because for me, anyway, it was that I knew that I wouldn't be able to cut down. Like, so I bought one last disposable vape thing. Now that you look back, you're like, oh my God, how has these little things like reduced me to this person? Like, you know, right. that's what addiction does to you, these things that are so important to you. Like, I was yeah. stressed out about quitting these things. That's how much is taken up of my life, you know? Yep. Now I, I can't tell you how free I feel. Back to quitting. So I used the empty cartridge once that was done. And I would just, I put it in my mouth, like throughout the day, I carried it around empty just so, cause it's a hand to mouth situation. Yeah. Smoking. It's just a habit. Yeah. Uh, but literally I was a, a real bitch for like a week. For- my wife would tell you that. <laughs> and uh, I was like, just bear with me, babe. <laughs> I'm going to be, f- I'm going to be awesome when I get out of this. And I just pushed through. I think it was the big key not to obsess because if you obsess about it, then you'll do it eventually. You'll, mm-hmm. you'll just think if you think about it. So I just stayed busy. Like even with the drinking, when I would get the urge at five o'clock, when I came in from work to pour that drink, I would either get busy or I'd go out outside and do something with my grandson, or I would pour myself a mocktail. Let's trick my brain. Mm-hmm. It's really like the placebo effect. You know, yep. I did that for a time. And then like, even now, if I ever get an urge, like it's a hot day and we're gardening and I want a beer, I just have a couple of those non-alcoholic ones in my fridge. Oh, duels. Yeah. <laughs> well, they actually have some pretty good ones that like IPAs and stuff that I was like, Oh, they've evolved. And you know, if I ever, <laughs> then I'll just have one and it's really just the taste and it's, and it's yeah. done. And that's, but in the smoking, like literally if people could just push through like the first week, really, yeah, um, then you're good. You're golden it, for me anyway. And, and that was it. But I did, I had these things. I had to quit cold Turkey because I would have gone straight back. I, I can't give myself a little inch. I take a mile. Like that's always yep. <laughs> who yes. I am. If you tell me that I can have two a day, I'm going to take four. Cause it's got to be much better. You know? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's too relatable. Oh my God. That's so my, relatable. My, too my relatable. Wife, my wife called me when we, what she used to call me when we first got together she's like you're like you're she called me the pillar of the community because I, I had a pill for everything you know and it's like and it's terrible now but like in case I had anxiety here's this and I just like I use them all the time but she's just always gonna be like here you want to take one of these she, she never takes anything or does anything her body like ever only she drinks but not like pills and so she used to call me that all the time and I, <laughs> so it's pretty that's funny pretty sad but anyway that's um, cute the mad yeah. pillar yeah you become really free you just become free when Mm -hmm. you're not i don't miss chasing those things and if i ever see a bottle of my favorite wine that i used to drink or just different things it'll take me for a second to like that oh it's holding my glass of wine you know but then suddenly i'm like no i remember how bad it got and i also remember that was it really that fun nah it really wasn't (laughs) that fun it hadn't got it got to the point where none of it was fun i just did it you know right and so I haven't like she, my wife drinks, I pour a drink. I can be around alcohol. It doesn't bother me um, yeah. at all. One day at a time, as they say, I don't have any plans to do anything different as far as yeah. that goes. I'm just trying to 
further make progress in my life, you know, grow. And now I feel like I have the opportunity to do that with freeing myself from so many of these things that were just holding me. And it gives you hope again, you know. Yeah. It really does. Yes, very much so. And is that what you said about being so freeing too, that was one a huge thing I noticed with yes. my addictions too. When I was addicted to pills, I spent like pretty much all my time trying to figure out where I was going to get my pills from because I had a serious, serious problem. And it took pretty much all of my time just to do that. Yeah. And then it was the same thing with the cigarettes too. When I quit smoking, it was I didn't expect that free, that freeness. Yeah. Like, oh my God, I'm free. I don't have to carry a lighter. I don't have to worry about where my cigarettes are. I don't have to, if I'm going on a trip, I don't have to be like, okay, am I going to have enough? It's yeah. so many things I mean, that you, yeah, yeah, you're just like, holy crap. Or I'm like, so can free. I smoke? Will I, be able, will I be able to smoke where I'm going? Like, yeah. is that going to be a possibility? Oh my God, what am I going to do? I'm in training. Shit, am I going to be able to walk to the bathroom and use my vape or like those kinds of things? It was just like obsessions. And even with the alcohol too, I'd be like, are they having drinks where we're going? Like, do I need a pregame before we go? I, th- I thought about these things consumed me all the time. Yeah. And you don't even realize it when you're in the, the freaking hamster wheel. Right. Yeah. yeah. You're chasing your own thing. And, and it just never, it's, it's the same thing over and over again. It's kind of insane, really, when you take a step back. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and, and also, like, your budget it's a lot better too right <laughs> and it's yeah funny i always like, had room somehow to buy whiskey even if i didn't have anything else but but yeah i mean money that you like now for me what i do is like sometimes i'll want like if i see something that before i would have been like well i couldn't afford it i'd be like well that's the cost of like a bottle of wine yeah. so i can go ahead and get that almost yeah. like a reward system sort of thing no, no but, yeah but yeah it, it helps a lot it really does that's, uh, that's- Thank it's you so true. much for telling us that's your story, Rose. That's yes. amazing. Oh, well, amazing. You You're an amazing. to be here. I'm, I'm thankful. Amazing human being. That is just so much that you've come through and conquered. And wow. Good yeah. job. I feel like, <laughs> I just feel like I'm able to honor my daughter now by, by sobriety and by doing the things I'm doing. Cause that's what she would have wanted. And she fought yeah. so hard. She didn't make it. So I'm trying to, make it for her. And yeah. Wow. That, that just brings a lot more meaning to it for me. So yeah. I appreciate you guys having me. It's been a pleasure. Thank yeah, you so much. So, thank you. Yeah. It's fantastic. Mm. We're all thrivers. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. We're good companies. Survivors really to good. thrivers. Yeah, baby. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good feeling, isn't it? It really is. Like, you know, it life really is. Life tried to kill us. <laughs> hey, bitch, you didn't make it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. We're not only making it, but we're, like you said, we're thriving. And yes. And that's huge. That's yeah. huge. It yeah, is. Absolutely. It is huge. Absolutely. Because it, it feels good, too. It does, doesn't it? Yeah. It really, yeah, it's very, very empowering to take your life back, especially from addictions and stuff. It's very, very empowering to feel like you are in charge. Absolutely. Again, yeah, for sure. Thank That's you. what's beautiful about that too, is that like, I, I feel like we know success in a way that's a little bit different than we're not chasing necessarily. I mean, some of us might be, but like, not always, we're not chasing the money or the, or the yeah. prestige or something like that. It's, it's, it's about that healing and that moving forward. I agree a hundred percent. That is, that is success for me for sure. <laughs> Me too. Amazing. So yeah. it. <laughs> right? Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. Oh, we're like stained glass windows. There you go. <laughs> Little pieces of busted up glass, but damn, we look good. <laughs> we are beautiful. Beautiful, beautiful, strong women. Yeah. Good company. And that is all for this episode. Thank you so much for joining us. And remember to stay brave. And remember that every butterfly was once a caterpillar.